This is Peter explaining to the church what happened and why he went and ate with Gentiles. I'm going to pick it up just in verse 17. Here's what it says. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us, meaning the Holy Spirit, also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. On February 9, 1964, the British rock band The Beatles performed live on The Ed Sullivan Show. 73 million Americans tuned in to watch the Fab Four do their first performance in the States. When they opened up with their song, All My Loving," the girls in the audience began to scream and squeal in a display of what would later be known as Beatlemania. Now, despite the sky-high TV ratings for the show that night, Newsweek magazine, in an article entitled Bugs About the Beatles, panned the band, writing this, Visually, they're a nightmare. Tight, dantified, Edwardian beatnik suits and great puddings, bowls of hair. Musically, they're a near disaster. Guitars and drums slamming out merciless beats that does away with secondary rhythms and harmony and melody. Their lyrics are punctuated by nutty sounds of yeah, yeah, yeah. They're a catastrophe, a preposterous farrago of Valentine's Day or Valentine's card romantic sentiments. The article ended with these words. The odds are that they will fade away as most adults confidently predict. Well, the writer could have been more wrong. The Beatles went on to become the most successful music group of all times. They sold over 183 million records and CDs worldwide, and 20 of their songs went to the top, number one, on the charts. Now, it's not just that they were successful, they were also prodigious. Over their 10-year period, they wrote some 200 songs. And though some of the lyrics were written by people outside of the band, most of them were penned by John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Now, many of these songs are really serpy love songs with lyrics that are hardly profound. She loves me, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to hold your hand. Love, love me do. I'm happy just to dance with you. Some lyrics are rather dopey. We all live in a yellow submarine, a yellow submarine, a yellow submarine. But others are actually quite dark. Bang, bang, Maxwell's silver hammer came down upon her head. Bang, bang, Maxwell's silver hammer made sure that she was dead. Some lyrics are just downright bizarre. I am the Eggman. I am the Eggman. I am the walrus. Cuckoo, 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 cuckoo. But some of their songs actually had a little more depth to them. Eleanor Rigby is a song about an old woman who dies and no one comes to the funeral. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? Right now you might be thinking, well, that's interesting, but how does the Beatles connect with a sermon on repentance? Well, as I was preparing my sermon, I thought about a line from one of their songs. Get back, get back, get back to where you once belong. Get back, get back, get back to where you once belong. You know, Isaiah 53, 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. If sin is going astray, turning to our own way, then repentance is getting back to where we once belong. Now, last week with the conversion of Cornelius and his household, the church in Jerusalem came to conclude that God had granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Well, today we want to understand what true repentance is, how it shows itself in the life of a believer, and why it's necessary for gaining eternal life. So why don't we pray and get into the text. Father God, I do pray for grace and mercy as we look at this. 
This is something that applies to all people. And so we pray that we would understand it and answer the call to repent daily in our own lives. For we ask now in Christ's name, amen. Well, as we think about repentance, we want to do this under three headings. The first, you can simply write down this, the meaning and nature of repentance. The meaning and nature of repentance. Secondly, the necessity and duty of repentance. Necessity and duty of repentance. And third, and finally, the expression and origin of repentance. Now, just to recap from last week, after God had given a vision to Peter and also one to Cornelius, they met together at Cornelius' house where Peter preached the gospel to those who were gathered. And as he did, the Holy Spirit came upon these Gentiles, signifying that they were indeed converted. They didn't convert first to become Jews. They simply trusted in Christ's death and resurrection. And as a result, the Holy Spirit came upon them. But when Peter got back to Jerusalem, some of the Jews were upset that he had eaten with Gentiles. But when they explained, when he explained what had happened, it says that they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance leading to life. That brings us to our first point, the meaning and nature of repentance. Now, you know, Google search engine has an interesting feature called the Ngram Viewer. Have you ever heard of that? It allows you to put in a word or a phrase, push a button, and it will graph and track how many times that word has appeared in magazines, books, and articles over the last number of years. So if you take the word zombie, a zombie is a dead person who comes back to life, usually resulting from some form of witchcraft. Well, the idea of zombies actually traces back to Haiti and the voodoo religion, um, but it only began to appear in the uh, graphs uh, section in the 1940s. But then in the 60s, with movies like The Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, the frequency of the word went up dramatically, hitting a, a peak usage in 2010. And since then, it's been dropping off. Evidently, there's not so many zombies coming back from the dead anymore. But if you put in the word repentance, the engram searcher, uh, we put out a graph. It'll show that the highest level of that usage was in 1820, and from then it's steadily declined to a low point in 1980, and since then it's begun to climb back up a little bit. Now, what's my point? Simply this, as we've become more secular as a society, the very concept of repentance, let alone the sense of the need to repent, has largely disappeared from our moral radar screen. What does it mean to repent? Well, as I mentioned last week, it, the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. It comes from two other words, meta, which means to change, and noia from the word nous, which is mind. So it literally means to change your mind. So to repent is to change your mind about your sins so that you no longer think of them with delight, but rather with horror and revulsion. The Hebrew word that's often translated for repentance is teshuva, which carries the idea of turning back or returning to God. I'm sure you've had times where you're going down the highway and suddenly you realize you're going the wrong direction. You're supposed to be going east, but you find out you're going west. And so you see a sign on the right-hand side of the road that says, next exit, five miles. And you're thinking, oh, no. But then you see on the left-hand side, there's a connecting drive between your freeway and the one going the other direction. Do you take it? You better not, because it says no U-turn. Those are for the highway patrolmen. Well, what's prohibited by law when you're going down the highway is required by God when you're going through life. When you realize you're heading the wrong direction, you need to make a moral U-turn. Well, the idea of turning back is found often in the call to repentance that the prophets of Israel made to the nation. 
In Ezekiel 33, 10 to 11, God addresses the prophet by saying this, Now as for, as for you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you have spoken, saying, Surely our transgressions and our sins have come upon us, and we're rotting away in them. How then can we survive? You know, people usually, when they're sinning, think they're enjoying freedom and the pleasures of this life. The truth is, when we're sinning, we're actually rotting away. So say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather the wicked would turn from his sins and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why will you then die, O house of Israel? Russell Brand is an actor and a comic who at one time was married to the singer Katy Perry. He was a darling of those on the political left, but then he started to question things like the COVID lockdown and pharmaceutical companies, big tech censorship, military support for Ukraine. Recently, several anonymous women have come forward and accused him of sexual assault and rape that allegedly took place in the 2010s. Calls to cancel him have come, and companies have withdrawn their uh, advertisement and tried to deplatform him. Now, what's interesting to me is Brand doesn't deny that he has sexual relations with these women. As a matter of fact, he, he says that he was a sex addict at one time and he slept with over 1,000 women. He just said that it was consensual. But, you know, he's repudiated his past behavior. And he's turned from it. But that's not repentance yet because he has yet to turn to the Lord. In Jeremiah 4, 1, it says this. God speaking says, If you will return, O Israel, declares the Lord, then you shall return to me. Russell Brand, like every other sinner, not only needs to recognize that what he did was wrong, he needs to turn to God through Christ so he can get back to where he once belonged. That brings us to a second point, though, the necessity and duty of repenting. You see, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, there's a constant call to sinners to repent. I mean, think about it. When the angel Gabriel presented himself to the priest Zechariah to tell him that his wife Elizabeth would finally have a son, he told him that this son, John the Baptist, would have a special place in the plan of God. He said this, It is he who will go as a forerunner before him, meaning the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so that he may make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Luke 1, 17. The way people are made ready to meet the Lord is by repenting of their sins. Do you remember that the first words of John's sermon when he was speaking to Israel was this, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And when the people came to be baptized by him, he said, flee from the wrath to come telling him that indeed the axe has already been laid to the root of the tree, so every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Luke 3, 9. First words of Jesus' sermons were repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Matthew 3, 2. When they carped against him about eating with tax collectors and sinners, he corrected him. He said this, it's not those who are well who need physicians, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. Now, when people came to Jesus to ask him about a recent brutal massacre of some Galileans that uh, Pilate soldiers had killed in the temple complex, Jesus responded by asking this, Do you suppose those Galileans were any worse sinners than any other Galileans? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Or do you suppose those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you likewise will perish. Matthew 11, 20-24, we read this, Then Jesus began to denounce the cities where he had done his miracles because they did not repent. 
He said, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No. You will descend down to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in you had occurred in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Now, the people in Jesus' day were not practicing homosexuals. They were not extremely wicked. They just didn't believe. And therefore, they didn't repent. When Peter preached to the Jews gathered in Jerusalem on Pentecost, he preached the gospel, and they were convicted by the Holy Spirit, and they cried out, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call to himself. Remember when Paul was standing before King Agrippa? He told him about the encounter that he had had with Jesus, the uh, resurrected Christ, and the commission that Jesus had given to him. And then he said this, he said, So, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those in Damascus first, and also in Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea, and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Acts 26, 19-21. Speaking to the philosophers on Mars Hill in Athens, Paul concluded his sermon by saying this, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to all men everywhere that they should repent, because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world with righteousness through a man he's appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, despite the fact that the Bible is clear in these verses and many others of the need to repent, there's some pastors and theologians in what's known as the free grace movement who argue that a person doesn't have to repent of their sins, they just simply have to believe the truth of the gospel. So they would argue something along these lines. Look, the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If you say a person has to repent, you're adding works to salvation and it's no longer based on faith alone. Yes, people should repent of their sins, and if they don't, they'll lose rewards in heaven that they could have had. But as long as they truly believe, they're still going to go to heaven, even if they don't repudiate their sins. You know, there's a lot of well-known pastors and Bible teachers who agree with that sentiment. Chuck Swindoll, Tony Evans, J. Vernon McGee, Charles Stanley, John Wolverd. Some of you own Schofield Reference Bibles. He held that view. Others of you own Ryrie Study Bibles. He also held that view. Many of these same people taught or were educated at Dallas Theological Seminary. I mean, I have books by these men in my library, and I've benefited from their ministries, but they're wrong, they're way wrong on this issue. Just go back to one of the verses I gave you from Jesus himself, Luke 13, 5. I tell you, unless you you repent, you, likewise, will perish. They say, ah, all you have to do is believe in Jesus. That's true. But can we say that we believe in Jesus if we don't believe what Jesus said? And Jesus said, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Paul asks in Romans chapter 6, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? 
Or do you not know that all those who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. When we've experienced new life in Christ, it expresses itself in new living for Christ. If there is no new living, there is no new life. Now in Acts 11, in our story here, the church came to see, as evidenced by the fact that the Holy Spirit had come upon them, that God had granted to the Gentiles also repentance that leads to life. It brings us our third point, though, the expression and origin of repentance. I mean, how does genuine repentance express itself in the life of a believer who's been born again? I think the theologians are right when they say there's three components to genuine confession, uh, uh, repentance. The first one is confession of sins. Confession of sins. I mean, you can't repent of a sin that you don't recognize and admit. I mean, David wrote Psalm 51 after he had been confronted by the prophet Nathan for his sin of adultery and setting up the death of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. I mean, the emotional tone of that psalm is somber and heavy. He writes this, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Now later on, after confessing his sins and receiving forgiveness, he celebrated the joy of God by writing this in Psalms 32. He said, How blessed are the man whose sins are, uh, transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. How blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. And then he talks about his life before he confessed his sins. When he was dealing with the guilt, he said, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. He means his conscience. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Proverbs 28.13 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. You know, and even after we're saved, we have to repent of our sins daily, don't we? 1 John 1, 8-10 says this, if we say we have no sin, he's writing to believers, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar and his word is not in us. You know, we sing that song, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God has done. When it comes to prayer and confessing our sins, we need to name them one by one. You see, we don't commit general sins. We commit specific violations of God's commandments. Now, some people, when they're confronted with their sin, don't confess. They just make excuses. The, the woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit. The, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Both Adam and Eve blame-shifted. When Cain was confronted by God after he murdered his brother Abel, he didn't say, oh, what have I done? Instead, after hearing the sentence pronounced upon him, he complained, my punishment's too great to bear. After his servants read to him God's word of a judgment written on a scroll by Jeremiah, King Jehoiakim just yawned, shrugged his shoulders, cut up the scroll into pieces, and tossed it into the brazier and watched it go up in flames. 
That's not repentance. Second thing that has to be in genuine repentance is contrition and sorrow. Praying to God after a sin, David said this, You do not desire sacrifice or I'd offer one. You do not want burnt offerings. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and contrite heart, O God. Perhaps you've seen TV court cases. You get to the end, the guy's found guilty, and the judge is about ready to sentence. And so the criminal wants to make a statement. He tells the judge just how sorry he is and how he realizes now how many people he's hurt and how wrong it was for him to do it. He's got his head hanging down. But then the judge reads the sentence. I'm sentencing you to 20 years in prison. Suddenly his head comes up, his face turns red with rage, and he starts swearing at the judge and calling him names. You dirty blankety blank. That wasn't contrition. I mean, think about it. Both Judas and Peter committed terrible crimes against Jesus. Sins. Judas betrayed him, and Peter denied him. When the reality of Peter's guilt hit him, he went out and wept bitterly. After Judas' dirty deed, he returned the blood money that he had been paid and went out and hanged himself. It says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, For sorrow that's according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. With Peter, there was genuine repentance. With Judas, there was just merely remorse. I mean, you can't repent of your sins if you're not sorry that you did them. And when you do truly repent and look back, it's with disgust and a sense of shame. Paul asked the Christians in Rome to think back to their life of sin before they became believers. He asked this, he said, What benefit were you then deriving of those things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. Romans 6.21 Speaking of Israel, after their future conversion where they finally come to recognize their sins and the rejection of the Messiah, God says this, You will remember your evil ways and your wicked deeds, and you will loathe yourself for your sins and detestable practices. Well, the third thing that's a component of true repentance is a change of direction. Fourth grade Sunday school teacher asked her class what it means to repent. The little boy said, it means to be sorry for your sins. The little girl raised her hand and says, it means to be sorry enough to quit. But does that mean that when you sin and repent, if you ever commit the same sin again, the repentance wasn't real? No. It's only phony Repentance if there's no real intention of changing. John Blanchard said, Repentance is the interchange of the heart and mind that leads to an outward change of the life. Now, sometimes people don't repent because they just don't see themselves as sinners. They would if they measured themselves against the commandments of God, and especially the way Jesus talked about the Ten Commandments, that if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you've ever been angry with your brother without just cause, you're guilty of murder. Or if we were to look at the example of Christ and compare our lives to His, which is the standard of perfection, we'd realize we need to repent. There's other times, though, people know themselves to be guilty, but they really believe they're just too stained for God to ever forgive them. But Isaiah... 1.18, God holds out an amazing offer when he says this, Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Those your sins are like scarlet, they will be whiter than uh, white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they'll be like wool. Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want thee forever to live in my soul. Break down every idol, cast down every foe. Now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow.
Whiter than snow, yes, whiter than snow. Now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Have you had your sins washed away by the blood of Christ that he shed on the cross? Have you turned from your sins and placed your faith in Jesus? You have to repent. But as that verse taught us today that we looked at, God has to grant you the grace so that you can repent, just like he did to Cornelius and his household. If you haven't repented, ask God to grant you the repentance that leads to life. 1983, Manuel Noriega became the military dictator of Panama. Though he had a long working relationship with the CIA and had received payments from them, he was also making lots of money in the Colombian drug trade by laundering money for the drug lords. Well, one of his political opponents began to expose Noriega's illegal activities, and so he had him killed, he said, like a dog with rabies, as Noriega described it. That wasn't the only murder he arranged. He also exiled a number of people, and he stole an election. Good thing that doesn't happen anymore. Eventually, President Bush decided to get rid of Noriega. On December 20th, 1989, the U.S. invaded Panama with 27,000 soldiers and 300 aircraft. Noriega hid out for a while, but he eventually was captured and taken to the United States to face criminal charges. While he was sitting in jail, he was visited by two pastors, Cliff Brannan and Rudy Hernandez. After witnessing to them, the dictator gave his life to Christ. He was baptized in the prison. He served 17 years in prison in the United States and then was sent back to Panama where he was sentenced to another 60 years. He died in the prison at 83 years of age. Now his obituary described him as living a libertine life of drug trade riches, off of drug trade riches, complete with cocaine-fueled parties held in luxury homes. But he was also a sinner to whom God had granted repentance unto life. I started with a refrain from a Beatles song. I want to end with the opening lines of another from Golden Slumbers. Once there was a way to get back homeward. Once there was a way to get back home. Sleep pretty, darling, don't you cry. And I will sing a lullaby. There's always been and still is a way to get back to God. It's by repentance and faith to Christ. If you're not saved... Come home. Come home today. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father and God, we are commanded to repent everywhere in Scripture, and there is no salvation apart from turning from our sins. But that will never happen unless you open up a heart to do so. And we pray that you would do that for the people who are hearing today and the people who will hear over the radio and the Internet. Give us grace that we might repent and have the repentance unto life. So bless us now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to sing a song together about this.